0: As a kid, I would spend a lot of time at a, a state park nearby, swimming. It's called Cowan's Gap State Park. And it wasn't uncommon for my family and, and, and me to power in our station wagon, our Ford Country Squire station wagon with the seats in the back that faced each other. That's back in the days when the seatbelt, your dad would hit the brake and his arm went out. That was the seatbelt. And somehow we survived. But we would often go swimming there as a family... And it was a fun thing that we did in the summer. And my stepfather worked at Mack Trucks in Hagerstown. They built transmissions and engines uh, for Mack Trucks. And so he would get off work at 345 and be home around four o'clock. And so mom would get us ready or get the food ready. And we'd have a picnic basket and we would be in our swimsuits and and we have our towels. And we were ready to drive 20 minutes up the road to Pennsylvania to go to Cowans Gap State Park. It was one of the the fun things that we did as a family in the summer. I recall one time that we went to Cowans Gap State Park, and it's as vivid to me today as it was then as a young boy. We were swimming out in the water as most kids do, and as we did, we would swim until our hands literally all crumpled up, and they were, just look like frogs. I mean, we, the browns would stay in the water until they turned purple. Their lips were purple. And so we spent a lot of time swimming. But I remember one time we were out there swimming, and this announcement came on the speakers from this pavilion that was at the state park, the administration building, far, far in the back. This voice came, and it said, as loud as and as clear as you could hear it, Johnny so-and-so, if you're here, please come to the pavilion. Your mom is looking for you. And so I didn't think much of it because Johnny wasn't related to me and he wasn't my brother or my sisters and so it didn't mean much to me and so I kept swimming as did most people. Five to ten minutes later the same voice came out again and said Johnny so-and-so if you're here at the park please come to the pavilion your mom is waiting for you. So this went on and finally a third time five or ten minutes later the voice and the tone of the guy who worked at the state park was a little more serious and he said Johnny So-and-so, if you're here, please come to the administration building. Your mom is waiting for you. So we continued to swim and didn't pay much attention other than we heard this guy keep coming, interrupting us, looking for this little boy that was lost. Finally, the call came for the fourth time. And I remember it vividly because it required us to get out of the water. And the guy from the back that was in this microphone room said... All swimmers, if you're swimming, please leave the water. And so, if you're prone to swimming, you know something's up. And so they ask us, literally, to get up and to get out of the water and walk to the shoreline. And while we did that, all the lifeguards on the beach along this state park came to where we were at. And they all huddled together. And then this instruction came from the man in the pavilion at the state park. He said this, We want you all to link hands and arms we want you to walk across the water from one end to the other, from limb to limb, and, and to see if Johnny is in the water. So it got real quiet. We realized Johnny is lost, and we need to rescue him. And so we got in the water, and I remember locking hands with someone I didn't know. I made sure I stood in water that wasn't above my waist, and we slowly walked across this large body of water, scraping our feet along the way, looking for Johnny. Meanwhile, over here was a mother of this Johnny, and she anxiously watched, hoping that someone or someone would see Johnny and find him. We got to the other end of this water, and we realized there was nothing there. So the instruction came, just drop hands, turn around 180 degrees, grab a hold of the other hands, and walk back across the water. Take another swipe, see if you can find Johnny. We got to the other end, and no Johnny. It was quiet on this beach like I've never experienced before. You could have heard a pen drop. We realized that Johnny potentially could have drowned. It seemed like a hopeless situation because he was lost and we were trying to rescue him and we couldn't find him. And it seemed the possibility realistically that we wouldn't find Johnny. And then out of nowhere, a booming voice came once again from this pavilion, once again from this administration building, this voice came out across the speakers and said this, I will never forget, almost in a startled kind of, we found him, we found him, Johnny's here. And I'll never forget this moment of time, it's kind of just freezing in my mind right now, this mom that was standing on the shoreline, this mom that was wanting her son to be found because he was lost, just like any mom would know that her son is lost, You could hear her squeal, and she runs to the back of this pavilion, and you could hear her getting there, and she's yelling, Johnny, 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 Johnny. She grabs a hold of him and squeals at delight. And then almost simultaneously, the whole park, from people in the parking lot, people sitting on picnic tables, people standing on the beach, people walking in water, began to cheer, Johnny's found. It's a moment I'll never forget because... What was lost has now been rescued. And the story is told that while we were out walking through the water, trying to work our way through the water, this older man took a, a walk through the woods along the perimeter of this state park. And while he was out in this state park, he noticed this little boy all by himself and walked up to him and said, are you Johnny? And the little boy said, yes. And he brought him back. He was the hero. He rescued what was lost a long time ago. Before the foundation of the world and this relentless journey of Jesus Christ, Jesus sat with the three-in-one, Father, God, and the Holy Spirit, and they had this plan. They, were, he would, they would send Jesus to earth, and he would come, and he would rescue us. And he's been on this journey, the Bible says, from the beginning of time, and he's coming to rescue us, but there's also this, this opposer, this, this enemy called Satan that's trying to stop him from coming to get us. And so week after week, and this is the fourth week we've been saying, Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. And Christmas isn't just December the 25th. It's not the manger scene. It's not giving gifts. Christmas began a long time ago. It began before the foundation of the world, this plan of the hero Jesus coming to earth and rescuing us. But all this took place before the foundation of the world. And we know this to be true. After Jesus said and God said everything was good, Satan sinned and one third of all the angelic beings left heaven they became demonic angels and they're ruling with Satan and from this time ever since then there's been this opposer who has an army one third of all the angels ever created called demons and every time God comes through they try to stop him there's these obstacles and Jesus keeps overcoming and the enemy tries to stop and so the old testament just story after story after story of a story of a hero trying to get to us and someone who's opposing an enemy called Satan So we find ourselves at the end of the Old Testament. When it seems a very, 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 very dark time. And Satan is deciding that he will amp up things. Jesus is relentless on coming to get us. So we enter into this period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's this battle of good against Evil, it's a story of, of light, bam. It's a story of darkness. It's a story of good versus evil that's around, been, been around since the beginning of time. It's, it's a culmination of God doing what he said he would do through the prophets of the Old Testament. He would come and he would conquer and he would overcome. Yet, there's this period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament that we know as the silent years and if you come to the last book of the Old Testament, there's a book called Malachi. And it's a prophet of God. And he's been writing. And it's not a very, very, very good time. In fact, it's a dark time. He's writing and saying that people are robbing God of their tithes and offerings. And that God doesn't appear to be on the scene or Godfathers don't appear to be there. And so we close this book in the Old Testament. The, 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 the prophet drops his pen. And from that point to the book of Matthew, for 400 years... God doesn't speak through his prophets. Very, very dark time. There's a political change. People are unfaithful. They're robbing God. And there's no Bible writings. If you open up your Bible today, you have Malachi and then you have Matthew. And there's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. It was a dark time. And if you were just to pull away and look from a distance, it would appear as if Satan had won. It would appear that the rescuer is not coming anymore. It would appear it, that he's not coming, that he doesn't want to get us, and that somehow Satan is winning. And it appears that, 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 that God's not coming. It's been a very, very long time. Many walked away from God, and the demons are celebrating because it was dark. Very dark during this time. God doesn't appear on the scene Prophets aren't talking, thus saith the Lord. God's people are running away. And it doesn't, we don't have any record of inspired writings that are for the Bible. Keep in mind too, imagine this time. If you hadn't heard from God, when God regularly spoke through his prophets and they would come out, thus saith the Lord, God said this. And for 400 years, it was this way. Imagine four days of not hearing from God. You can handle that. Imagine four weeks, imagine four months. Imagine four years, imagine 40 years, imagine 400 years, no prophet spoke. God hadn't spoken in 400 years through his prophets. It appears darkness has won. But remember, Jesus made a promise. He's coming regardless and he can't be stopped. Even if the demons are off in the corners celebrating, God is still on a mission to rescue us. And then, out of nowhere, an angel appears on the scene. Bam! To a young teenage girl who was engaged to a good man who had a noble cause. He just wanted to marry this teenage girl. He wanted to have a family. He wanted to have a carpenter shop, and he wanted a house with a white picket fence. And he didn't want any fanfare. He just wanted to love her, love his family, and love God. That's a noble cause. But this angel appears out of nowhere when angels hadn't been around for 400 years. He appears to a lady named Mary. who was just a teen, 13, 14 years old. God's got a plan. He's been silent, hasn't spoken to his prophets. So he says, I'm coming, and I can't be stopped. So he sends an angel, go talk to Mary. And the Bible records it this way. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Bible says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might. Wouldn't you be? When's the last time you heard a talking angel? Teenage girls don't get these kind of visitations from God. And now this angel is coming and looking at her and saying, Mary, you're going to have a child. Say, what? I haven't had intimate moments with a man. You're going to have a child. And the angel said, do not be afraid. He must have seen the startled look on this 13-year-old girl's face. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And then Mary asks this angel who's standing, how will this be? She says, since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be will be born, will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. This is quite a plan, by the way. By the way, Satan didn't know what the plan was. It wasn't like God went to him and says, I'm going to marry. He didn't inform him ahead of time. So this is the first time that Satan knows who the the mother of the child is going to be. I'm sure he was puzzled by this. Because if he were to come... There would have been pomp and circumstances. There would have been a king instead of a baby. But Jesus is coming in a simple way to a teenage mother, to a man who loves her in a city where there's no fanfare. And then the Bible shows us that Satan begins to turn up the heat because now he knows where the baby is coming and where God will be on the ground. But out of nowhere, another angel came and spoke. Bam! And he looks at Joseph. Now, remind you, angels hadn't hadn't been angel sightings for 400 years. Now there's two in a row. And this angel says to Joseph, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this young man saying, what? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us, God on the ground. Then it says this in scripture. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had said. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now the rescuer is coming. He's on the ground of the womb of Mary. The Messiah, the redeemer, the hero from the past is coming to rescue. Imagine though for a second, let's just, don't over-spiritualize Joseph and Mary here. They're human beings just like we are imagine how this began to unfold in the life of mary as all the attention of the demons one-third of all the angelic beings that call themselves demons now just howls around her life everywhere she goes the battle is raging everywhere she's at demons are following now picture the demons attacking joseph remember he's a young man he goes to bed at night. He loves this woman. He's married to her. And every night, he looks at her, and, and and his body is screaming to be intimate with his wife. And the temptation of the enemy is coming. That's your wife. You should have intimate relationship with her. This is the woman you love. Why don't you be intimate with her? Night after night after night after night. How many nights did he just run from the bedroom, not wanting to give in? There was a barrage of attacks, and I'm convinced that he withstood incredible temptation Imagine the deception, the lies that the enemy was saying. This is your wife. Be intimate with her. Yet he knew, and God knew, if he were, it would bust his plan. I'm sure Joseph, night after night, was frustrated to no end. Day after day, assault by the enemy was on Joseph's heart. Take in mind, too, that no one else could understand what they were going through. It wasn't like Mary could go to her teenage girlfriend and say, hey, let me tell you what happened. Last night an angel came and talked to me. What? Yeah, and I'm pregnant, and I just... But it wasn't by Joseph. It wasn't any other guy. It was the Holy Spirit. Imagine that, trying to explain that to someone. And then Joseph going to his friends and saying, my wife is, has, is, is giving birth to the king of kings. Way to go, Joe. No, I didn't... I wasn't intimate with her. The Holy Spirit could see. what? You believe her? Then the ninth month comes the baby begins to toss and turn demons sending bombs on joseph and mary and then in this small city far away from fanfare the child is born boom god on the ground flesh and blood move into the neighborhood it was a simple birth No fanfare, no reporters from CNN, from Jerusalem. The hope of the world nestled between the arms of a mom and a dad with sheep and goats and a few straw bales. Deity nursing from a mother's breast. Could anything be more puzzling or profound? What a plan, by the way. Joseph sits exhausted. After nine months of demon harassment and temptation. And then the baby sighs. The rescuer, the king of kings, the lord of lords is reduced to a few unintelligible words and gurgles from this newborn baby. King of kings, lord of lords. Where you would have expected red carpet, angels, and champagne, where only flies. The putrid smell of cow dung, where you would expect it presidents, kings, and heads of states, were Mr. Ed and Clifford and a mice scurrying after food. And the Bible says it this way While they were there, the time had come for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. This was a monumental day. Listen to me, church. God is on the ground. He's coming and He can't be stopped. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's on the ground. He's here to offer hope. Christmas morning. He's here to rescue. He's here to redeem. He did what He said He would do. He said He would come. He would be with us, Emmanuel. And there He is, a baby, breathing, alive on the ground. He's here. But now above this stable in a barn in a secluded place an all-out assault was raging. A war of wars was beginning to happen in the heavenlies. And if you and I were able to go there if we could open up the heavenlies there would have been demons flying and zooming. There would have been angelic messengers of God battling in the heavenlies because They need to stop this rescue attempt. And so two thirds of all the angels that were left were battling and fighting back. There was an all out assault of darkness in Bethlehem. Meanwhile, while this was happening, God wanted to let his people know that his son's on the ground, that the rescuer is here. You would think that he would grab some of the most prominent people of the day. But instead, you know what he did? He went to the lowest of the lowest, the least of these. Once again, an angel appears on the scene. Bam! For almost two, 400 years, nothing like this was happening. Now they're popping up everywhere. Bam, 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 bam. He's coming and he can't be stopped. Luke chapter 2 records it this way. These angels going and talking to these shepherds who were out in the fields. And it says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. You bet they were. When's the last time you think a shepherd had an angel talking to him? They were the least of these. They were the bottom wrong. They were people who thought, you don't even give them the time of the day. But God went to the least of the least to the underprivileged to to the castaways and he says i want you to be the messengers that god is on the ground and the angel said to these shepherds who are out in the middle of this desert and this angel was speaking they look at him and said don't be afraid they must have seen their face i bring you good news of great joy today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is christ the lord and then they said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then it says this. Now imagine being here if you can. They were asleep. They were grisly men. They were, they were, they were men who you would want to fight for death to, with you. Then it says this. One angel spoke. And then in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and beginning to sing glory to God. And A whole choir breaks out in the desert. Imagine these shepherds, dude, look, dude, look. What's going on? The Bible says that the shepherds spread the word and everything that they heard and they were amazed. So they passed the word on. He's on the ground. The savior of the world is here, he's here. He came back just like he said he would, and he told us first. Yeah! But Satan wants to stop this. The word is out, and the rescuer must be killed. And they better get him now that when he's young, because they got a better chance to kill him when he's a baby. By the way, don't you dare think that Mary wondered why she had to be the one during this time. Don't you dare think there weren't times she felt like bailing out. She was a human. Don't over-spiritualize Mary and Joseph. For she knew this son was different, though. He was born without intimacy with the man. She couldn't wrap her mind around this. She was a teenager. Imagine being 13 years old, ladies, and having the God of the universe growing inside of your womb. And then you couldn't go to anybody and say, hey, I need some help. Go see a counselor. Counselors couldn't give you information. Friends couldn't give you information. Books couldn't give you information. And the only person you can confide in was your husband. Imagine how close they drew during that time. Plus all the world knew now that there was these shepherds saying that there's God on the ground. They didn't know whether to believe the shepherds. And then in Matthew chapter 2, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? When they saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Others wanted to know. So the wise men knew that something was up because of this star. And so they began to follow this star. It moved. And they said, wow, look at that. I mean, these were these were educated men Some thought they might have been kings But they knew something was different And they heard from prophecy that Christ was coming And that there would be a, something that would point way. And so they began following this, this, this planet This star, this constellation And when they moved, it moved And so finally they find themselves in front of Herod And when he heard about this The Bible says he was disturbed So Satan begins his plan of attack because wise men are now coming to find Jesus and to bring him gifts. And in Matthew chapter two, it says this, then Herod called the Magi secretly. Doesn't Satan always work in secret? And found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for this child. So these wise men are standing. Okay, we got you covered, Herod. As soon as you find him, he said, report to me, come back and tell me where he's at. I want to worship him too. Yeah, right. He wants to kill him. The wise men leave and a pack of demons are following them. They want to take the life of this baby too. So as they travel and follow this star, demons are following with them. They're already over top of this home. It's a dark, dark, dark time. The enemy wants to stop the rescuer who's coming. And then the Bible says this, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Bam. Now, I don't don't gloss over this. These were educated men. These These were leaders of leaders. These were men supposedly who were kings and they walked to this house. Grown men don't worship babies, but they knew the star pointed the way. And so they were worshiping this baby and people got the word out. Wise men are here. There's there's men who who are who are bright and intelligent, and they're in this house and they're worshiping this baby. Is Jesus here? After seeing him, the Bible says that the wise men didn't go back to Herod. And the Bible also tells us Satan is defeated. And the Bible says that Herod was furious. He even the Bible says that he was. He knew that he was outwitted way before Survivor. He knew it and he was ticked. So now he devises a plan along with Satan the opposer is trumped again he's not happy they thought they had him for sure and so Herod issues the decree kill all the babies two years old and younger I'll get rid of him so this decree goes across the land babies are crying you can hear death rattling in the hallways meanwhile Jesus leaves with his mother and father an angel came to him and said get away and so baby after baby after baby is dying dark, 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 dark time meanwhile during this same time Elizabeth gives birth to a baby and her husband Zachariah give birth to a son whom they call John an angel came to them prior to him being born and said, you're going to be born with a child. And she was an older woman. There's no way she, she should ever be able to conceive. And he said, this child will be the messenger. He'll go out in front. He'll tell people that Jesus is coming. And so in other words, he's the forerunner. He'll go to the village and say, repent because the real Messiah is coming. And so this man called John, this little boy is born about the same time that Jesus is born. But an angel appeared to, to Zechariah, and the Holy Spirit said, said to Zachariah, that, that you're going to have a son. Call him John. But he also told him, you won't speak until your son is born. So we have this picture in scripture. It's, it's almost hilarious. Zachariah can't talk. His family thinks not only can he talk, but he can't hear because he can't speak. They think he's deaf and mute. And the moment that the child is born, Elizabeth knows what he should be calling. And so she says, let's call him John. Zachariah's trying to talk. I want to call him John too. And scripture gives us this snapshot. The baby is born. And it says this. Zachariah asked for a writing tablet. Immediately his mouth was open. And his tongue was loose. And he began to speak. Praising God. And the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea. Were talking about it. Everyone who heard this wondered. And they asked him. What shall we call this child? And he said. Call him John. Call him John. Call him. And they look at him. How did you know that? Because I heard you the whole time. I just couldn't talk. So they're amazed. Angels are popping everywhere. There's there's this mute man that's talking. There's these magi that are worshiping this baby. After 400 years of silence, angels popping everywhere. Boom, 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 boom. Now Satan has to split up his arsenal because there's this baby born called John the Baptist. Meanwhile, during this time, the Bible also tells us this, that not only did he go to the shepherds, least of these, he went to the Magi and he wanted John to be the forerunner. He said he needed another spokesperson. So he looked around and said, hey, let's grab an 80 year old man who just wants to die and go home and be with his maker. So the Bible records it this way. A righteous man named Simeon was told that he would not die until he saw the rescuer. Keep in mind that God had not spoken for 400 years. Now angels are popping up everywhere. The Holy Spirit is speaking. There's quite a buzz in Israel. There's dead babies under the age of two everywhere. Now picture this old man who heard this angel speak to him. He's running through the temple, 80 years old. And every mom that came in, he's running up. Let me see that baby. Nope, not him. Let me see that baby. Nope, not him. Day after day after day. And now moms, stay away from that old man. Go grab your baby. But every day he goes back. Simeon wants, he wants to go home. God, just take me home. But he knows he can't go home until he sees the rescuer. So day after day, he's in the temple. And moms are scurrying away from him. And then finally, there's this moment in time. He's running through and grabbing babies. There's this picture that he sees Mary. He goes over and grabs the baby. And bam, it's Jesus and then he says this sovereign Lord you have promised now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen salvation which you prepared in the sight of your people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people and then then Simeon says this he says I'm ready to die now God just let me go home he's 80 years old and he's like okay I did my duty take me home would you So now everywhere, everyone is aware that there's a special baby that's been born because angel sightings have been talked about amongst shepherds, amongst intelligent wise men by an 80 year old man that had been grabbing babies for like three weeks. There's old man doing jigs. Dance jigs in the temple. There's mute men talking. There's demon sightings all over the place. There's boys dead under the age of two everywhere. After not having much activity for 400 years, CNN Jerusalem was buzzing. And then the Bible says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in his relationship with God and man. we really only have one record of Jesus when he was just a young boy when he ran away from his family and he said, I need to do my father's work. And up to then, he gets to about 30 years old and he realizes now he's supposed to go on mission and build a church and get some followers and get some disciples and, so that they can take the message. He's ready to do what he's supposed to do. Yet there's John the Baptist that's preparing the way. So he grows up. There's this really weird guy who eats locusts and grasshoppers and has a beard down to his waist and has a camel skin coat. And he's saying, Jesus coming, Jesus coming. That's what God used as his messenger. Think about that for a second. What a plan, huh? And so John the Baptist is out in the desert. He's telling everyone, he's coming, he's coming. Repent. And he's baptizing people. And then one day when he's baptizing people, he looks on the shore and there stands Jesus. He's saying, whoa that's the guy, that's the God that I've been telling you about. And Jesus is standing there and he goes to John the baptizer and says, hey, you need to baptize me. And John the baptizer says, no, don't baptize. I'm not baptizing, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, you must baptize me. And the Bible says this, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And then there's this moment in time between a father and son. A father who hadn't spoken to a son in 30 years. He had left heaven and now 30 years. He finally gets to say something that's been built up inside of him. Jesus is baptized. And then the scripture says this. As soon as he came up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And God said, This is my son, people! That's my boy! And I'm proud of him! What an incredible moment in history. God says the rescuers here that never heard a voice from heaven like that. Then God speaks to everyone within walking distance. Yes, it's him. He's here. He's here. He's here. I told you he was coming. He's here. And that's my boy. I'm proud of you, son. 30 years of not communicating with his son, it was that moment where he could finally say, it's my boy. It's my boy. I love you. I love you. I love you. Now Jesus is about to get prepared to do what he's been called to do, save the people. Work his way to the cross. It would be a three-year ministry. He was recruiting helpers to get the word out. He grabbed some fishermen. He grabbed some carpenters. He grabbed a tax collector. He grabbed the blue collar workers and he began to build a church. But before he was ready to go in the ministry, Jesus goes off into the desert all by himself to prepare himself. And Satan, the opposer, amps up the attacks. He meets him in the desert. He needs to stop this rescuer because it's his last chance. He's about to ready to go. And so all the demons come. The tempter is there. They meet him in the desert. Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's weak. He's tired. He's frustrated. It's a dark, dark time in the desert. Would the rescuer be stopped? And so Satan comes and tempts him turn their stones into bread no jump from the temple and show them your power no and then he says take a look out across here if you jump I'll give you this if you worship me and Jesus says no and then there's this picture in Matthew 4:10. Jesus answered him away from me Satan for it is written worship the Lord your God and serve him only he wins the battle again the Bible says that the the devil left him for a more opportune time. And angels came and attended him. Angel after angel, bam, 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 attending to him. But three years later at the end of this ministry, it appears the rescuer has been defeated. He's hanging on a cross. And out of his mouth comes these words, it is finished. And all these people standing there, isn't he the King of kings and Lord of lords? What's he doing on the cross? What do you mean it's finished? And there's this picture in scripture that people run from God. They deny that they know him. It's a dark, dark, dark time. Satan had Jesus wait where he thought he had won. He had him hanging on a cross and it was dark for three days. And we know from Scripture that it was very dark. There was an earthquake. And then there's this moment where the demons are celebrating. They stopped the rescuer. He's dead. He's dead. It's dark, 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 hopeless time. But we know from Scripture that he's coming and he can't be stopped. And while demons are partying, and the disciples were running away. Jesus was on his way back because three days later, he walks out of the tomb. He left an angel or two that remind his people that he's here. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and he's on earth. He's coming, and he can't be stopped, and he's coming after you. So where does that leave us today? Where does that leave us on Christmas Eve? Here's where it leaves us. Jesus is coming after you he wants to rescue you I opened this account by saying that Jesus is the rescuer I showed you how a rescuer came to someone in a park I want to tell you how the rescuer came to my home I was five years old my mom had just divorced my dad me and my three sisters were all alone with a single mom 40 years ago. It was a dark time. It seemed hopeless. My mom would put us to bed at night and, and I recall evenings when I would hear sobbing from my mom's bedroom. She was crying. She was lonely. She didn't know what to do. My dad was a good man. But alcohol got the best of him. And he just chose alcohol at that time over us. It was a lonely time for the Browns. Yet they're just a little church that met in Hagerstown. And they had this prayer meeting. In this prayer meeting, someone raised their hand and said, we need to pray for Bev Brown and her four little kids. She's all alone. She's by herself. She seems hopeless. Can we put Bev Brown on the prayer list? And so someone took and put my mom's name on a prayer list. Bev Brown and her kids. There was a man that was in this prayer room that realized he wanted to go to see Bev Brown and her kids. He wanted to take this message of this hero who left heaven to rescue other people to us. I recall one night as a five-year-old boy, there was a knock at the door. I saw my mom go and answer the door. And there at the door was this old man, bald head, really kind face, didn't know him. And then I watched my mom open the door and she led him into the house. And the last I recall, I was seeing him set out at the kitchen table and I saw this kind man talking to my mom. And as a five-year-old, you're curious, what's this man doing in your house? All I know is this, that Sunday for the first time in my life, Mom said, let's get dressed and put some clean clothes on. We're going to church. Church, what's church? So mom loaded us up and we actually walked to church. And I remember finding myself in this Sunday school classroom as a five-year-old boy. That's why I love children's ministry. I found myself in this Sunday school classroom. and, And honestly, the things I remember the most is the smell. It was musty. It was like green paint on the, the walls and there was flannel graph and this teacher went around the room and we had to introduce myself. And she asked, she says, what's your name? I said, my name is Jimmy Brown. And she says, my name is Mabel Hoff. And Mabel Hoff told me the story about this rescuer who came from heaven and he wanted to rescue me. And she said, Jimmy Brown, he wants to rescue you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to save you from your condition. So as a five-year-old, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I don't have hope anywhere else. And she told me the story about Jesus Christ. And I remember in that room, bowing my head and sweet Mabel Huff, 65-year-old lady led me to the Lord and said, Jimmy Brown, you need Jesus. And So I just agreed with her. I need Jesus. And in that moment of time, I gave my life to Christ. And I remember going home. And I used to call my mom, Mommy at the time. And I said, Mommy, in this classroom today, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and savior, mommy. He rescued me. And then something happened I wasn't sure what was going on. In a period of like four or five weeks, my sister, Jamie, my sister, Kimmy, my sister, Joni, and my mom, Bev, we all were rescued. We were lonely and hopeless six weeks ago, but God invaded our home. He came to my house and all of a sudden there was hope. And all of a sudden things changed. The nights didn't seem as long. And my mom, her countenance changed because she now had hope. And let me tell you something. That happened to me 45 years ago. And from that day on, the Lord has been with me and he's been my rock and my shield and my peace. And let me also say this. As I stand here today, I don't tell you about Jesus because I get paid to do it. I tell you about it because he changed my life and he can change your life too. I don't know where you're at in this room. But I watch people in all the services make a defining decision. The greatest gift I could ever give you, and let me tell you right now, I am the messenger tonight, and Satan doesn't like this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus saves. He can save you from any condition that you're in. You can't get to God on your own. It's impossible, the Bible says. And some of you are self-made men, self-made women, and you think you can get there on your own. You can't do it. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the life. He's the truth. So will you allow God to rescue you tonight? What's your plan? What's your plan beyond death? Are you hoping for the best? Or you want God waiting for you and said, you're my child. I rescued you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, here we are again for the fourth time today. This message is as good as it was when I heard it when I was five years old. Jesus rescues, Jesus saves. There's hope in Jesus. God, I pray in this room in a strong way that your angels would battle and hold at bay the demons that want the souls of some of the people in this room. If you're in this room and your heart is just pounding, And there's an emptiness and a hopelessness that you feel. Jesus wants to rescue of that. He wants to invade your life. He wants to live in you. He wants to be your God and your ruler. The Bible says this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and confess our sins, then we will be saved. We will be rescued. The hero wants to rescue you. If you want to be rescued... And surrender your life and your heart and let God take over. If that's you, then confess with your mouth this confession. Say, dear God, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me of my sin, my selfishness, my desire to do it myself. Invade my life and save me. I surrender my will to you. I will follow you the rest of my life. I repent and I turn towards you. Rescue me, God. Rescue me now. The Bible is clear that once we make that confession, God will never leave us. He'll never depart us from us. He'll save you. Well, our heads are bowed and, and our eyes are closed. Just do something for me. If you're in this room and tonight you just ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life and you asked him to rescue you, like this was at the final moment. It's like December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2011. I finally surrendered and said, God, I want you to rescue me. I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. Would you do something for me? Just, just, just hold your hand up. Just hold it up. Don't be afraid. Just, just, just hold it up. Say, this was the day. Don't be ashamed. Just loud and proud, right up. Just... God, all over this room are people that are saying, I've been rescued. I've been found. God, I pray in a strong way. You would send protection to the corners of their homes, to their houses, to their lives. I pray that this Christmas would be different, that there'd be this sense of your presence, that there'd be peace like they've never felt. God, I pray for your blessing on their lives. God, I pray for answered prayer. I I pray for breakthrough of addictions. I pray for overcoming of bad habits. And Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified. God, thanks for rescuing them. God, your promise is good today as it was 2,000 years ago. God, let them know that you will never leave them nor forsake them. In Jesus' name, amen. One wanted to stand. Would you just stand with me? We'd like to mark this day for you. I think it's significant in life and to to have reminders of decisions that we made where, where we drive stakes in the ground that's just kind of like in the Old Testament, talking about we, we, they, they built memorials. And this is a memorial for you. On this night, 2011, everything changed. You just received the greatest gift that you could ever receive for Christmas, Jesus Christ. And as a reminder of that, we would like to give you a flashlight. Now, it's just not the flashlight that you want, but it's a reminder. Every time you turn this on, every time you use it, it's a reminder that... God invaded my life. I was rescued. And so every time you use this and every time you you go to, it's a reminder that on December the 24th in 2011, I was rescued. So across the front, we got Pastor Rich and Pastor John, and and we have some flashlights, and we saw the hands and we saw the people rescued. We're not gonna ask you to come speak. We're just gonna ask you to come and take a flashlight as a reminder. And, And as a reminder to you every time you use this, that I am a child of God, I've been rescued. So would you come? Just, just come to Rich, come to me, or come to John. Just come and get the flashlight, and you can go back to your seat as we sing this song. Just. Come.